As we move into our message this morning, I'm wondering, do you know what happened this week? In case you missed it, here are a few of the headlines. White House and GOP reach a deal in principle to stop the nation from defaulting. Judge puts South Carolina abortion ban on hold. A service dog gets his own college diploma, winning huge cheers. Indiana reprimands doctor who provided abortion to 10-year-old rape victim. Texas AG impeached and suspended from duties. VP Harris becomes the first woman to give a West Point commencement speech. Sedition sentence for Oath Keepers leader marks moment of accountability. Former employee blows the whistle on conditions and activity inside NYC hotel now housing migrants. Chaos at UK airports as border system fails. A boy 11 called police in Mississippi. A cop shot him. Indiana funeral director pleads guilty to the theft to theft after 31 decomposing bodies were found at a funeral home. And this is just a sample from this past week. I think it's pretty consistent with every week. Maybe some of the details have changed. How do you feel? Not so great, huh? A study from 2022, according to Men's Health, found that regular exposure to the news through social media was associated with an increase in depression and PTSD. Makes a lot of sense. And we want to say it's the media's fault. But I'm pretty sure they'd stop reporting it if we stopped consuming it. I'm also pretty sure they'd stop reporting it if we as humans stopped doing what they're reporting. But this is the world we live in. With these headlines every week. What do we do? Our world's not that different from the world that Peter lived in in the first century. You know, we've been walking through Peter's second letter in this series that we're calling What Matters in the End. It was Peter's second letter to the church that he wrote from prison knowing that his life was coming to an end soon. And so this letter was a thoughtful accounting of what Peter felt was most important to communicate about, to convey to the church before his time came to an end. The core of the letter actually is most concerned about false teachers and false teaching and how that was leading people astray. It was bringing people to ruin and destruction. It was promising freedom and delivering slavery. Peter pleads with the people to cling to the truth of what God has done for them through Jesus Christ and the real freedom that comes from living His way. We talked about that freedom last week. But free people still have to figure out how to live in the reality of the broken world around us, don't we? And how do we navigate this broken world? That's what we're going to jump into this morning. We're going to jump in through the lens of Second Peter chapter 3, and if you want, you can follow along on the screen. Let's listen for God's Word that thankfully speaks into the very real circumstances, not just of Peter's day, but of ours. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets 
and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters, also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, in the chaos of our days, we need you to speak. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that was breathed on us and fell on us at Pentecost. And may your spirit fall again. Lead us into your truth. May we be a people filled with hope for the days to come. In Jesus' name, amen. So some people in Peter's day seem to feel the same way we feel when we hear the headlines and read the news. They were asking lots of questions. Some were wondering, where is this coming he promised? You know, this question is in direct response to the the promise that Jesus, after his resurrection, after he ascended, would someday come back. He'd come again. And here they were, 30 plus years after Jesus' ascension, and he still had not come back. And they're trying to figure out, what do we do with this? And some determined that he just wasn't coming. And they figured, if he isn't coming, then we might as well just live how we want to live. This was another way that the false teachers in Peter's day were justifying their so-called freedom to just do whatever they wanted to do. You know, there's no one coming to hold us accountable. We aren't going to get caught, so just do what you want. You know, it's like when I was in high school and some friends of mine and I were at a retreat center and I decided that I wanted the sign that was on the wall next to the indoor pool that said, warning, this pool is equipped with urine detector. And so that night, I jumped the fence, 
It was an indoor-outdoor pool, and so I jumped into the water outside. I could swim underneath the wall through the little tunnel inside. There were no security cameras, no security guards. Hopped right out, grabbed the sign, took it home with me. There was no one there, no one watching, no one to hold me accountable. I wanted it, so I did it. And this was and is still a common mindset. He's not coming. Enjoy life right now. If you're happy, just keep doing it. And Peter addresses this mindset by reminding us that with the the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. In other words, God's sense of time, his perception of time, is not the same as ours. Everett is our three-year-old son, and for the last few months, one of his favorite questions has been, how many minutes until, whatever it is, right, his birthday's in November, how many minutes until my birthday? A a lot. (laughs) But how many minutes do I need to nap for? Is it going to be a lot or a little? And when we get into the details of that conversation and we say, well, you know, it's probably going to be about 60 minutes. It's like, whoa, that's way too many. <laughs> and from our perspective, it's like not even close to enough. Because you know. <laughs> our perception of time is drastically different, isn't it? Developmentally, he doesn't really understand time yet. And maybe we don't understand time as well as we think we do. But he also experiences time differently. For him, 60 minutes is forever. But for us, it's a blink. And the older we get, the faster it seems like time moves, doesn't it? And God's perception of time is drastically different than ours. God's also not really bound by time. He's outside of time. Time didn't exist until God created time. And so... He is outside of it because he existed before it. He's like the author of a book who is not bound by the chronological timeline of the story as it unfolds. The author doesn't ride the emotional waves of the story. The author already knows how it resolves because the author's outside of the time. God isn't freaked out about what's happening in our lives and in the world. He's not surprised by it like we are. See, God isn't nearly as concerned about the timeline like we are, but he's deeply concerned about people. Peter goes on and he says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He's patient with you. With whom? With with those people out there that are running amok? He's patient with you. And he's patient with me. Peter's writing to the church. He's patient with you, he says, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And so what this tells us is that part of God's delay in coming again is that he's patient with me. He's giving me time waiting for me to turn back from the way of life where I demand freedom on my terms and instead to turn toward the way of life where I submit my freedom to the one who loves me, where I turn away from the way of life that isn't working to the way of life that God intends to give me. And he, he doesn't want just me to have that or you to have that. 
He says he, he wants everyone to come to repentance. God is patient. He is exceedingly patient. And he's willing to endure the atrocities, the challenges, the trials, the hardships that we endure every day because he's waiting for everyone to turn back. Certainly what he desires. And and the scoffers in Peter's day would continue to argue and they'd say, well, ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. In other words, what they're saying is that It's always the same. Nothing really ever changes. Nothing really gets better. There's no real progress. And maybe we can actually kind of see that perspective in our headlines, right? It's really the same stuff, different millennia. And they were convinced that it was going to continue to be the same over and over and over. And I wonder how many of us live this way getting up every day, feeling like nothing is really going to change, things won't really get better. And and Peter addresses this perspective in a way that that I I think as we first read it, it seems a little confusing because he appeals to water. And, And what Peter is saying in these verses essentially is that water has been a constant for us. It's stable. It's a necessity for life. But even water, as consistent and unchanging as it is, has shifted and changed. In creation itself, God spoke, and the waters were moved. They were separated, literally, the waters of the sky from the waters on the ground and under the ground. And then he goes on and says, in the flood, By God's word, water was used as the means of judgment and destruction to flood the earth. And so Peter is saying that it's not actually water that's the stable, constant force that seems unchanging. It's only the word of God that is the constant force that makes things stay the same or brings about change or even brings about destruction. Peter said that it's by the same word, the word of God, the present heavens and the present earth are reserved for fire being kept for the day of judgment and, destruct, and the day of destruction of ungodly men. See, things may seem like they're just repeating, but history is not this circle that just goes around and around and around and repeats itself. History is actually going somewhere. There's a trajectory to history It's according to God's word and according to God's timing. It's heading for what the prophets, the prophet Joel referred to as we read earlier and Peter grabs onto. It's heading for what is known as the day of the Lord. That day that Peter knows where Jesus will in fact come again. And when Jesus returns, it will not be like the first time. He will not come like a humble, cute, tiny baby laid in a feeding trough, but he will come as a warrior judge. And he will come with fire. In that day, there will be destruction. And not like annihilation, but heaven and earth, he says, will no longer be the way they are now. As a matter of fact, the the words that Peter uses in Greek might be better translated dissolved or revealed or melted. But what he's getting at is functionally the same. There will be a drastic change 
change and things will be purified as if by fire. And we know that fire can be used to clean and purify things, don't we? Right? You know this if you've ever made s'mores. You know, s'mores, the marshmallow and chocolate graham cracker. And you go and you roast a marshmallow, you put it on the stick, and you, you, know, you do its thing, and it gets all warm. And then when you pull it off, it leaves that gooey residue on the end of the stick, doesn't it? Well, how do you clean the stick? Stick it in the fire, right? And if it's wood, the stick burns up. But if it's metal, the sugar burns off, it's cleaned, it's purified. And this is what it's going to be like on the day of the Lord. When Jesus returns, there will be fire, metaphorical or physical, I don't really know. But what I do know is that all that is unworthy will be destroyed and all that is worthy of God will remain. It will be changed by the heat, purified, transformed, but will remain. And this message, it really is a message of good news. It's a message of warning and of good news. It's good news because the day of the Lord is the day of God's final victory and triumph. His victory over all that is evil, all that is wrong and broken and unjust, all the atrocities that we witness, all of the headlines. Because God will come and he will judge all that is ungodly and not worthy of him. And it's good news because once this happens, all that junk that we endure and experience every day will be gone forever. Can you imagine waking up in the morning and not having the same headlines over and over again? No, you can't because we're so conditioned, right? But can you just try to imagine if every day you woke up and the headlines were this, it's a glorious day to be alive. God is on the throne, and the people are filled with joy and peace and generosity and kindness, industriousness, creativity, and love. Imagine those headlines. And that's what the day of the Lord is about. That things will not always be the way they are now. God will judge, and he will change everything. I mean, this is such good news It's good news for anyone who has ever been the victim of an atrocity. It's good news because what it says is that even if nobody else sees, God sees you. He knows what you have been through. And he will bring just judgment. The suffering you've been through is real But the joy of God's renewal will be so great that it will overshadow and swallow up all the pain. This is the promise of the day of the Lord. But it's a day that Joel, as we read earlier, calls a great and dreadful day. It's a dreadful day because there is a warning here that the judgment that God will bring is not just for them out there or those guys or the ones that we think are the bad guys. Judgment is for all of us. That on that day, all of those things that we've hidden, those things that we, those behaviors we have justified, the things in our lives that we have tried to pretend are really okay, but somewhere deep down we know they're not, those things that we have hidden away trying to keep in secret, those will be revealed. And we will have to give an account to God. 
all the thoughts that you've ever had about your in-laws, they're coming out. All the things you wished would happen even to those middle schoolers you didn't like back in the day. All those things that you stole in high school and nobody knew about until you confessed to a room full of people years later. It's all coming out. It will no longer be hidden. It will be laid bare. But on that day, the good news is that the gospel of Jesus Christ that we today hold on by faith, we hold on to it by faith, it will on that day be experienced in reality. It will be real to us in a way that we're only holding on to by faith today. And what I mean by that is this, is that the gospel tells us that sin is so much more pervasive in us than we really even want to think about. But it also tells us that the love of God is so much greater than we can possibly comprehend. And on that day, on the day of the Lord, the gravity and reality of our sinfulness will be evident. Everything's coming out. The gravity of the consequences of sin will be evident as his judgment by fire comes out on sin and everything that is ungodly. It will be evident, but the love of God will now be seen and known in a way we will never have known before because we will finally comprehend what Jesus really endured for us. That the brutality of that cross was taking on the judgment, the just consequence and punishment for my sin and my rebellion. And so I will have to give an account on that day, but I will give an account with a hope and an appreciation, and a gratitude, and a worship to God for what he has done for us in Jesus Christ. Because that day, my hope is not in my ability to have cleaned everything up, to have emptied out the dark closets, but is only on what Jesus has done on the cross. And in that day, All things, heaven and earth, will be made new and righteousness, God's right and just way of being, will flood the earth. His kingdom will be full and it will be realized. This is good news for any of us who have experienced disappointment and failure and grief. God's going to make it all new. And so today, we live in anticipation of that day. It's going to come in God's timing on his terms, not ours. But it's the day that Peter's pointing to for the church in his day so that they can have hope for navigating this broken world, the persecution that they were enduring, the uncertainty, the headlines. And essentially he's saying, the end is coming. Be patient. What are the things in this life that make you feel overwhelmed? What are the things that make your blood boil and you have anger? What are the things that make you feel overcome and terrified and uncertain? For some, it's the reality or the at least perceived reality of environmental disaster and climate apocalypse. And I know for some in this room, you scoff and you laugh, but for the truth is for our younger generations, this is an existential fear. And it's real. 
But maybe your fear isn't about that. It's about nuclear war and escalating conflict and how things can spiral out of control. Maybe it's the proliferation of artificial intelligence and you see how, man, this could really get out of control. Maybe it's the political stalemates we find ourselves constantly in the infighting, the lack of solutions and the constant perpetuation of problems. Maybe it's corruption. Maybe it's the destruction of the family unit or of your family unit. Maybe it's the lack of attention to the mental health crisis that is tearing people apart today. Maybe it's the disregard for life at the beginning or at the end. Maybe it's your own health and disappointments. This is the world we live in today. But the good news is that the world we live in today will not always be this way. The day of the Lord is coming. The end is coming, and the end is good. Be patient. It doesn't mean just sit around twiddling your thumbs. That's not patience. That's probably more like apathy. It doesn't mean sticking your head in the sand and pretending that things aren't hard and challenging. But it does mean to be prepared. And Peter says the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And so, Part of what this means is don't get caught up in trying to predict when the end is going to get here. It's been so tempting over the years to get caught up in all of this prophecy, all these prophecies that claim that, yep, the end is going to be Y2K. Here it goes, meltdown. That's a little in the past now, isn't it? Or it's coming in 2025 or 2040 or 2042 or whatever the answer is. Don't get caught up in trying to predict the end will come because only God knows. That's what it means that the day is going to come like a thief. You don't know when a thief's going to show up. But what you do know is that it's too late to lock the doors when the thief is already in the house. So you better be prepared. It's too late to buy an alarm or even set an alarm when the robbery's already begun. So be prepared. In our patience, we prepare actively. Peter puts it this way. He says, to live holy and godly lives. Holy and God, I mean, for some that just sounds like boring, passive, like we don't get to do anything. You just sit around and pray and hold hands and read the Bible. That's not what Peter's getting at. Holy means simply set apart, distinct from, specifically set apart for God. To be prepared is to set aside your life now in such a way that you are set apart to God so that you already know him, so that when he does get here on that day, if it's in your lifetime or my lifetime, you're going to be prepared. You're going to be like, yes, I know him. He's coming. And you won't be startled or shocked. You'll know his character already. You'll know what he's here for, and you'll know that he is for you and that he is good. It's like having a a family member or a friend that you haven't seen face-to-face in some time, that moment when you finally are, you know, the return together and you just throw your arms around in the embrace. You can anticipate the day of the Lord with that kind of anticipation to be set aside now. Set apart for the Lord, but also it's set apart from the world. From the world that we're living. Not that we you know, go lock ourselves away, but I would say it looks more like this. The world we're living in right now is a ragingly anxious world. <laughs> and it doesn't always take the form of like panic attacks or what we expect when we think of anxiety that way. 
What I mean is it's an incredibly anxious, reactive world. So much of the anger that seems to be permeating our society is, to me, reactivity to the reality that life is out of our control. But the angrier I get, the louder I yell, the more I act. It gives me this pretend sense of control when everything is out of control. Or the the constant blaming that we try to shift responsibility to other people for the problems or what's going wrong in the world, these are anxious responses. And so to be set apart from the world is to not, no longer be a people that are swayed by every development and every new story, to not be like the people who are just angry, throwing rocks all the time at anyone and everyone, not trying to constantly blame but instead can be a people not filled with anxiety, but grounded in the reality that God is in control. He is sovereign. He is the only one who is Lord over all of history, over life, and He is the only Savior. There is no earthly Savior apart from Him. And to be a people set apart from the world means that we can read the news through the lens of the day of the Lord. We don't have to get wrapped up in every story, but instead we can remember that God is patiently waiting, enduring all of these things, waiting for all to repent. Even if the circumstance is awful, the stories we read are terrible, what you live through and endure is atrocious, we can have a hope that can carry us through today because God will in fact judge all that is wrong and he will fix it. And he is such a better judge than I am. And I tell you what, if, if I were judge, I'd probably be a lot like Homer Simpson in one of the episodes where he was a youth football coach and he basically cut everybody from the team. Right? I, God, I, I'm not worthy of being judged like that, but fortunately that's not my job. Jesus will come and he is the judge. He has the character. He has the perspective that we don't. He will judge. And he will make everything graciously and generously new. And so for us today, how do we navigate this broken world? Live now in light of the day of the Lord. Put your hope not in the circumstances of now, but in what he is going to do on that day. Be patient, setting apart your life for relationship with him apart from the world of anxiety and reactivity and anger and blame. Next week, we're going to get into the practicals of what we do, but today, be patient. The end is coming. Wait for the day of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, when we look at the reality of the world around us, it is chaos, and we realize there's so much that's not in our control Help us, Lord, to not be a reactive and anxious people. Instead, allow us to be a people filled with confidence and hope and peace because you are the Lord and that you are Lord over all the events of history and you are waiting patiently. Lord, give us a vision for the hope of the future. Give us a trust in you as judge. Give us a trust in Jesus as the Savior for us when that day comes and you make all things new. Lord, help us to live today in light of the day of the Lord. Amen.